Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today, Archbishop Foley Beach brings us his message on marriage. But before we get started, here's today's special feature, which comes to us from last week's broadcast. Here now is our speaker and teacher for A Word from the Lord, Archbishop Foley Beach. Jesus says in these passages, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. And he says a few verses later, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And he talks about giving the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's one thing to believe in Christ. It's another thing to love Christ and obey him. It's one thing to intellectually and emotionally believe in him. It's another thing to yield yourself to Christ, to love him and obey him. The question is not, do you have the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? You with me? Too many people have the pilot light lit, but the furnace isn't engaged. They're not willing to let go and let God lead their lives. Their spirit, not the Holy Spirit, is in charge. Their will, not the will of God, is sitting on the throne of their heart and their life. Dear friends, if this describes you, then you will never know the fullness of the Spirit in your life. You'll never know the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You'll never know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. For you see, when the pilot light is lit, you're given the capacity to engage the furnace, but the furnace has to be open so the gas can flow. When you're born again, you're given the capacity to walk in the power of the Spirit. However, God doesn't force His way on you. And some people, when they're born again, they just let go and they let God and the power flows. But others of us hold on. We won't let go. Or we'll say, God, you can have this part, but you can't touch over here. And when we do that, we quench the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in studying that passage, it literally means continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, this afternoon, tomorrow, next week in that meeting, continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit brings the presence of the Lord into your very being and life. And He's a helper and He's a teacher. Some of you here this morning have lit the pilot light. You've accepted Christ in your life. But you don't have the power of the Spirit in your life. I invite you this morning to yield your life, your heart, your mind, your will, your strength, your body to the Lord. Personally allow Him to be your Lord, to be Lord over all, not just some in your life. He wants you to experience His love and His joy and His peace. He wants you to know His presence with you. This past week, many people have seen or have been talking about the royal wedding of Prince Harry to Meghan Merkel. The positive of all this discussion is that marriage and a wedding is actually being described in a positive light. It's been presented as the ideal of human relationships and a big deal. In reality, marriage and the family have been under attack and recent decades to such a degree that it's losing its value in our culture. 
The Bible-believing churches have failed to teach on marriage and teach on the godly and single life, and now we're reaping the rewards. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 10, and I want to look at this passage about what Jesus has to say about marriage. Mark chapter 10. Now the context of this passage is that Jesus is in a discussion with some devoted and committed Jewish leaders called the Pharisees. And they ask Jesus about the lawfulness of divorce, and they're having some back and forth. And then Jesus makes the following statement about marriage. We're going to start with verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In our time, we see the family under tremendous attack. We see marriage under tremendous attack. And I think there are at least eight ways that we're seeing a perversion of this concept of family and marriage by various entities around us. The family is under assault like never before. I agree with Pope Francis who said recently, I think it's very sad and painful that the Christian family, the family and marriage have never before been under attack either directly or indirectly like it is today. And we see this in a variety of ways. For example, the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage, it's a prime example. Of course, we as followers of Jesus Christ don't believe the Supreme Court has the right to define or redefine marriage. That's God's business. But there's more going on here than gay people having the right to be married, although that's part of it. There's another agenda altogether. Lesbian activist Marsha Gessen said this, it's a no-brainer that gays should have the right to marry, but I also think equally that it's a no-brainer that the institution of marriage should not exist. This is a perversion of family and marriage. Another way we see the perversion of marriage and the family is sex before marriage. It's okay according to the society in which we find ourselves. Even many Christians in the church don't see a problem with it. When I was in seminary, I was one of only three in my first year class that thought premarital sex was a sin. This is a perversion of marriage and the family. But not just sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage has become acceptable. Many of you may remember a few years ago the Ashley Madison website was hacked. Now this is a website that had 37 million users. And it was a website where you could go on evidently and hook up and you could describe yourself and you could hook up with someone to to have sex. And they had a data breach and all of a sudden all these significant lawyers and doctors and preachers and people from all types of life had to go home and confess their sins to their spouse. The owner, a man by the name of Noel Biderman, said this, monogamy, that means marriage between one man and one woman, monogamy is a failed experiment. And that's what was driving all of this in his mind. 
Most Hollywood movies promote sex outside of marriage. And this is all a perversion of marriage and the family. Another perversion of marriage and the family is divorce. In the US, in the, US, in the United States of America, we have 59.6 marriages. And actually, the divorce rate is doing better than we've been told in recent years. Rather than being 50%, it's really more like 25%. But still, millions of people are divorcing every year. This is a divorce culture. If it doesn't work out, we get divorced. I marry you because I love you. I don't love you anymore, so I'll divorce you. This is a perversion of marriage and the family. Another perversion of marriage and the family is cohabitation. In a recent study of women 15 to 40, 48% lived with their partner rather than being married. That's one half. While many eventually got married, children are increasingly being born out of wedlock. Three out of four black or African-American children are born out of marriage now in the United States. Two out of four Anglo children are born out of marriage. This is a perversion of marriage and the family. Another perversion of marriage and the family is multi-spouse marriage. This is where the husband has more than one wife. Now this is widespread in some cultures around the world and as people from these cultures immigrate here, some are bringing this with them. And then there are others in our culture who have just blown off monogamous marriage and are living in all kind of arrangements. Again, this is a perversion of marriage and the family. Another perversion of marriage and the family is promoted by pornography. This industry of magazines and movies and internet and smartphone applications, it's a multi-billion dollar industry every year. Over 13,000 movies are made each year in the U.S. of pornographic nature. And what's happening is men and now women have become addicted, literally chemically addicted to this stuff. And this is a perversion of marriage and the family. Another perversion of marriage and the family is abortion on demand. This year, almost one million preborn babies' lives will be terminated. That's, you heard me right, one million. Mostly because of inconvenience. One of the main purposes of marriage is procreation of children and their nurture in the knowledge of the Lord. But in a culture of throwaway babies, it's a direct attack on the families of the country and the future of the nation. All of these perversions are attacking marriage and the family and been chipping away at the value and importance of marriage in our nation and even among Christians. Too many of our Christian young people don't even know why you should get married. Ask someone in their 20s, why should you get married? And, and listen to what they say. I know it sounds outlandish, but it's no longer of value to them because we have failed in the church to teach. Now Jesus called Satan a liar and a murderer. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy according to John 10.10. The Bible also makes him known as an angel of light. That is, he makes it look like the truth in the light of God, but it's not. The Bible calls him the deceiver. 
Sadly, too many Christians are being deceived today and led away from the truth of the Word of God. Either they've not been taught the Word of God, or it's not been modeled for them, or the ways of the world sound so much better and so much fulfilling until people wake up one day and wondering what has happened to their lives and their joy and their love, and there's destruction all around them. So let's look at this passage from Mark chapter 10. First, I want us to see the plan of God for marriage and family. Look at Mark 10, verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus quotes this passage from Genesis and reminds his listeners that God made human beings male and female. And we're told in Genesis basically that we were the crown of his creation. We weren't just good, as he said to the other aspects of creation, we were very good. This was the plan of God for marriage. One man, one woman, one Adam, one Eve. Yet throughout history and all of history, humans have corrupted this beautiful creation. And they've done all kinds of things to distort it. Michael Youssef said, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. See, this, this was God's idea. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Cardinal Gerhard Mueller, the Vatican's prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, said this, God created man in his own image. And Jesus realized that in the reality of two persons, a man and a woman, in which he said is the fundamental good order of creation. Male and female complement each other. Male and female are meant for each other. I read this recently in the news. More than 40 families have pulled their children out of an elite private school in California over a transgender lesson for kindergartners that included a gender reveal ceremony for a classmate who's decided to change genders. Talking about kindergarten. Parents were not told of the lesson in advance and their children came home traumatized that they would be forced to change their genders as well. The school responded that they had to introduce the former boy as a girl to classmates or risk running afoul of government regulations. Now we live in this day of choosing your own gender. And we must remind people that God created us all, either male or female. It's, it's not our choice. We're not the creator. And his plan for the family is for one man and one woman in marriage. Now, yes, Jesus said that some people are called to singleness. But this is a singleness of holiness and righteousness, not a singleness of perversity and promiscuity. Next, we see God's pattern for marriage and family. Mark 10, 7. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. God designed a perfect way for humans to flourish on the planet. A man and a woman marry. They procreate and raise their children. And those children get married and they procreate and raise their children and so forth. However, a man can't cleave if he doesn't leave. A woman can't cleave if she doesn't leave. And this is emotionally too. N.T. Wright said this, 
the bond of husband and wife creates not merely a partnership or working agreement, but a new entity, a new human being. And as far as Jesus is concerned, what Genesis says about marriage, God says. You see, this was God's pattern for marriage. And then we see God's purpose of marriage. Verse 8. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. The purpose of marriage is for them to become one flesh. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And the product of one flesh is children. Rick Warren at the symposium sponsored by the Vatican, Rick Warren said this, we have all agreed that you can't have a strong nation of communities without strong families as the building block of society. Children grow up healthier in a two-parent family and multiple studies prove that. So as the couple becomes one flesh physically, they become one flesh emotionally. They begin to understand and communicate with each other in a deeper way, sometimes without actually talking. You ever seen an older couple at a restaurant and you wonder, why aren't they talking to each other? Well, they are talking to each other, you just don't see it. They become emotionally tied together. And that's one reason why divorce is so painful. It's not just breaking a relationship, you're breaking emotional cords that are yanked away and ripped apart. But this one flesh concept doesn't just end there. There's another perspective to it. You begin to become one spiritually. There's a unity in this one flesh which is much deeper than the physical or emotional. It's it's a spiritual unity. Men and women become one, like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. A new trinity, so to speak. A man, woman, and the Lord. It's the way God designed it. A man, a woman, and the Lord, a new trinity. And each child is brought into this relationship like we're brought into the fellowship of the Trinity. And then we see the permanence of marriage. Verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is God's ideal for marriage. Now yes, there are scriptural exceptions. Sexual immorality, abuse, abandonment. But his intent is for lifelong marriage. Eternal marriage. And in many places, this just sounds terrible. The institution of marriage is basic, though, for human existence and the fabric of civilization, and God knew what he was doing when he designed it. And yet we live in a time when God's designs and intentions are being ignored and being rebuked. And to hold these kind of convictions, you are considered strange, weird, odd. So what shall we do about all these attacks on marriage and the family? Just a couple of suggestions for you to consider this morning. First, to stand up and speak up. It's time for Christians to start speaking, to stop being quiet, to stop being trampled on. Yes, we're to be humble, but it doesn't mean we don't speak the truth or speak the truth into situations. We've got to stop worrying about being intimidated or what's politically correct or incorrect, or what peer pressure is forcing us to do. We've got to stand up and speak up for Christian values. Secondly, 
is to model good and godly marriage and family life. To model good and godly marriages and family life. What if our marriages were such that the families down the street or the couples down the street or whoever look at our marriage and say, I want what they have. Why aren't they saying that? Why aren't we modeling godly and good marriages? Why, aren't, why isn't the world looking at the church and looking at Christians and saying, wow, we want their love. We want their joy. We want the excitement they have about life together. We've got to learn to model it, especially for our kids. And that brings the next thing. Thirdly, is to teach your children about this and about the Lord. You teach your children about this. Don't expect the church or the school or the government to teach your children about these things. If you don't teach your children and grandchildren about this, who do you think will? Their friends? or what they see on TV, or what they see on their phone. We've got to be teaching our kids. And a fourth suggestion is to pray. Prayer does change things. Prayer brings the power of God into those situations. Pray for those couples that you see getting married. Pray for the young couple sitting behind you in church or in front of you. Pray for the family members who are having struggles in their relationships. Pray, ask God to intervene in their situations. He will. Prayer makes all the difference. Brothers and sisters, we are living in an incredible time in history. But sadly, what keeps us all together is being eradicated from our midst as a civilization. And we as Christians hold the key. Jesus Christ and his family what he taught us about family and marriage. So I submit that to you this morning to consider, to chew on, to reflect on, to pray about, and to act on. Thank you for listening to A Word from the Lord. I would like to take a few moments and and give you the opportunity to become a believing Christian. I know today we have a lot of folks that go to church and are real religious But if you were to ask them if they really know Jesus Christ, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. And I don't know if you're one of those people this morning, but if you've never become a believing Christian, I'd like to give you just a simple ABC, not a gimmick, but but just the way it is. A is for acknowledging that you're a sinner. We live in a culture which says, you know, basically we don't make mistakes, but we do. And when we measure up against God's Ten Commandments, um, all of us have fallen short in some way. We've all messed up, and, and that's called sin, and we need to acknowledge that. The B is, is to believe, to believe in Jesus and what he's done on the cross is God's remedy for our sin, is God's solution for being alienated from him, to believe that through Jesus I can be made whole, that I can be healed, that I can be forgiven. And the C is for confess. Confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. A lot of folks receive Him as their Savior. They want their, what I call, fire insurance, make sure they don't go to hell. But they aren't willing to allow Him to be their Lord, to be the one who uh, is the master of their life. 
and, and to confess that, uh, to be willing to share that with those you love and those you care about, that Jesus is your Lord. So it's really that simple, um, and yet it's that powerful that it makes such an eternal difference. Um, acknowledge that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the solution. And confess that Jesus is your Lord. I invite you to stop what you're doing right now and, and say a simple prayer. Uh, confess your sin to Him. Tell Him you believe in Him. And then begin to confess Him as your Savior, Lord. If you've done that, I encourage you to uh, let me know. I'd like to send you some materials so, to help you grow in your Christian faith. It's, it's like becoming a, a baby all over again, and there's some things you need to know, some, some things you need to learn in order to walk with God. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of Christ. Please visit us online at awftl.org.